Hey, this is Kevin Kitty from Driving and Crying, and in case you didn't know it, you're listening to Two Faces Radio, right here on your TV typewriter. Hey everybody, this is Ira. Before we start this podcast, I just wanted to let you know that Brian and I will be playing as an acoustic duo this Friday night, December 17th, at the Five Spot in Little Five Points in Atlanta. And we're opening up for some past guests of ours, uh, Joe McGinnis of the Joe McGinnis Trio and Joe McGinnis, and Oliver Wood and Greg Baba uh, from King Johnson, and of course the Wood Brothers with, uh, with Oliver. And our friend Dave Roth, who plays with Nate Nelson and uh, a zillion other people around town. So this is going to be a great night of music. So if you're in Atlanta, or even if you're not, come on out and check this, check us out this uh, Friday night, December 17th, 5 Spot in Atlanta. I'll have more information on our homepage about it, so uh, it'll be good to see you. We'll start about 9, 9.30 p.m., and the cover charge, I'm pretty sure, will be pretty minimal. So uh, gather up all your friends and all your family, come down and make it a great night, all right? So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you down there. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. Steve Gorman interview part two. Yeah. Coming right up. All right, you we're know, not going to talk as much as we gonna, did last time. We're not going to drone on like we did that last time, and, and that's clearly why we had to break it up into two parts, because we care about the listeners, Ira. We do. So I hope you're enjoying, or I hope you enjoyed part one. This is the second part of the of Brian's infamous. Steve, now it's feeling fr- pretty infamous. Steve isn't it? Gorman of the Black Crows interview, and uh, if you enjoyed the first one, I'm telling you, I've listened to the whole thing, and it just gets better and better all the way up to the end. It'll keep you riveted, and it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. <laughs> He's entertaining. He really is. And yeah. you know what? Also, check out his podcast too, Steve oh, yeah. Gorman. Sports. Sports. I gave it a pretty good shot. That first time. Yeah, that yeah, was good. You're yeah, nice. he, he gave you a little bit. He of gave me some problems. I well, didn't want to go all full. We'll have board. his link on our website. As yeah, well. and check it out because he's he is entertaining. Hey, maybe he'll return the favor. And his sports show is not the boring facts and bullshit. It's right. it's the stuff that you talk about with your buddies, just like our show is the stuff you talk about with your buddies. Right. So if you like our show, what you're saying is if you like our show, you might like his show. I think you would. That's What do they call that? Cross-sponsorship? Uh, cross Cross-promotion. Promotion. That's cross what that promotion. is. Cross-promotion. Look, yeah. Look at us. Look at us. Cross-promotion. Hey, oh, Freaking ooh, professionals hey, over here. Hey, oh, oh, hey, oh. All right. So All right. enjoy part two. And uh, give us your feedback, too. Join our Facebook page and write shit all over it. Yeah, and check out our something. Check out our pictures. We don't have any pictures of Gorman, but... There's nah, pictures. Another there's there's other pictures of Gorman all over the internet. So <laughs> yeah, you can find check them out on your own. And uh, you know, write any questions, comments. You know how good we did, how bad we did. Two Faces Radio at Gmail dot com. That's T W O Faces Radio at Gmail dot com. All right. Well, happy once again. What? Once again, as always. As always. Save it for the. <laughs> save, save it for, it for the, the show. show. faces in the audience just go from elation to complete bittersweet you know they're thinking about this is my song for 25 years right. or whatever it was at the time and i'm seeing him play and right now, yeah. and you know that's again it's harder to see the effect our music has on fans because it's just our you know but that was a, that, that was what was so special about those shows was one of the many things was just being a part of how much that music means to people oh, that's awesome 
Well, you know, I'm thinking now when you're talking about seeing the faces, you know, again, I, I don't know who's going to go and check out your podcast based of, uh-huh. based on us, but there was also a story that I, I want to do our own thing, but I, I just, it's such a good story. You talked on your podcast about when you used to play pickup games mm-hmm. and then uh, seeing this guy at the Fox and you're like, I, I don't usually, uh, a guy that you used to play pickup basketball games with in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Do you remember yeah, that he was story? Yeah, he was at the Roxy. Yeah. Yeah, not the Oh, Fox. the Roxy. Okay, I apologize. Yeah. Oh, well, I well I played, uh, yeah, well, I used to play all all these different courts in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, down on McGill Boulevard downtown and then in Candler Park and a bunch of different places. And uh, this is actually from a, a league I'd played in at the Druid Hills Methodist on Ponce. Okay. We, me and some friends, we just rented their gym on Wednesday nights. Okay. It was actually Danny Beard, who owns Wax and Facts. He was, and I worked there at the time. Danny, right. Danny was in this game with these dudes. And so I'd go play there on Wednesday nights. And th- there was a, a church league that we actually signed up and got a team in. None of us went to that church. None of us even, I don't think went to any church. But right. we ended up in this church league. And it was good, good player. It was a really good league. And so we played, I guess this would have been in early 89 or late 88. And um, just went through the season. And I, it was funny because I had like beads and almost cornrows in my hair for a while. It was right. a really, I had a weird look going for a church league, <laughs> believe me. But go forward to like 90, what year was that? 98 on the Time Out of Mind tour. It was Bob Dylan show at the Roxy. And I oh. went with Chris and my wife Rosemary. And the three of us were in the lobby of the Roxy like getting a beer. And this guy just walked up and he goes, Steve? And, you know, and I said, yeah. yeah. And he had the, t- I just thought he was going to say, love the band, love you, whatever. Yeah. He goes, hey, man, you probably don't remember me, but uh, he said, I played for, and he named the church that he played for. He said, right. oh, we used to play ball in that league like 10 years ago, at yeah. Hills. And, and I looked at him and he goes, man, he goes, you had a great game, man. You look a little different then, but I totally remember you. And, and, and I, I don't know what I said before, but I, I always, that was like the coolest, that was my favorite moment ever, because the guy had no idea that I was in this band. Right. He just was giving me some props on my game. And I was like, That's oh, funny. right, I like, someone remembered me from 10 years ago, my <laughs> basketball game. And that was, that, that was a, that, to me, that was a beautiful thing. Well, okay, now, so that's one story, but there was another story that I was thinking of where you played oh, with these okay, guys, and then you, you were playing, and oh, you said, oh, I don't usually oh, recognize oh, faces. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm and that's what made yeah. me think of it, because you were saying, like, you were looking at the faces uh, when oh, you were that playing one, with Zeppelin, yeah, no, that was on the and Southern you recognized Army. it. That was on the Southern Army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a dude from just pickup games, yeah, that I played with. That guy, he and I had a really, like, antagonistic, we always guarded each other, Yeah, you know, almost... We never we never really came to blows, but it, we, it could have easily it was physical, like yeah. it was very physical with each other. We were very evenly matched. Yeah, and uh, he was an attorney downtown and uh, used to play this lunchtime league at Peachtree Center, just pickup games, but it was good games. And uh, yeah, that was at the Fox on the High as the Moon tour, and I looked out right when the show opened, and he was like in the second row, and I saw right. him. Right. I was like, "There's that prick, you know, there's <laughs> that guy." And it was three or four or five songs in that I saw him look at me and, and you I locked watched, it. yeah I watched his face go from yeah, that guy's rocking to oh my that's that guy you know, yeah like, and, you know he didn't like me I didn't like him and and his fa- it was it was really f- I loved watching him have a fucking meltdown right there like that's oh my hilarious God. yeah that was good and was he like telling people like that's oh absolutely yeah yeah that's, yeah, yeah that's so great um, yeah that was one thing you know again not to have you tell stories again but yeah. you know people can definitely go to check out your podcast as well and I hope they do um, Steve Gorman Sports right yep um, so um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about Crowology because that's kind mm-hmm. of like the impetus for this tour. Yeah. Um, and uh, you talked a lot about it on your podcast. You did a whole podcast dedicated to it and yeah. kind of telling old stories and stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. It was great. Um, I, I did want to talk to you a little bit about a lot of the things that were done. I kind of, I really was hoping actually as a big fan of the band, hoping for more stuff like my morning song, mo- more overt changes mm-hmm. to songs. Um, was there any discussion of doing like tunes that were maybe like really heavy rockers and like, hey, let's take those and do them because it's such a different take on it that song automatically? No, we didn't talk about songs in those terms of let's let's take. No, what we what we did. I mean, literally, it was because we don't have we're not good at linear conversations w- within the band. Okay, like as far as because one thing we can't not interrupt each other. Right, we can't take each other seriously at a certain level right and you know somebody makes a reference to something from seven years ago and that triggers you know a conversation will go off the rails immediately sometimes right and what we all agreed on was we wanted the record to be from a lot of different eras we didn't see any reason to put anything from the new before stuff. the frost on yeah. there i mean because half the record's acoustic anyway is that's there right even anything there. from warpaint uh, well, we did Josephine. I oh, guess Josephine, it did, but it's not—it's not, it's not it's on not our record. record. Yeah, but we did Josephine, and you know, we just wanted to cover a lot of different ground. I mean, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like let's do three from every record. It's not like that mm-hmm. simple. But it was just what songs do we when we look back? What are the sort of you know what are the pegs that sort of mark? You know, because to us, I mean, as much as, like, the, the, the diehard fans, like, they don't ever want to hear Remedy again, probably. Right. But the truth is, when we put Southern Harmony out, that song marked a tremendous move forward. Right. As much as anything on that album did. Stylistically and arrangement-wise, and the fact that that was the lead single. I mean, that's a huge... Yeah. That's a very important song to us. You know what yeah. I mean? Same with Wiser Time. That that should have been the first single off of Morica. You know, that's what we wanted, and mm-hmm. we were at war with people over that. Because that was a great leap forward, and now it's like, oh, they're you know, but like, like those songs are very important to us. Those yeah. are those are, they represent something way more than they were just singles, you know. What yeah. I mean? And yeah. like Remedy was the first single we thought Wiser Time should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just was there any more talk of like doing you know, hey, let's do a slow version of this. Let's let's well, change it, it up it, a little bit. Yeah. Or, well, what we what we first agreed on was what songs are we going to go in there and tackle? Okay. And then once we're in there, then it's like. Like okay, let's start with Jealous. Well, that was there was we've done so many different versions of that. It was that that's gonna we're just gonna play that straight. Okay, you know I mean that that's pretty basic. Remedy's very different as far as we've never done that acoustically. You know we've played Jealous acoustically right. many times. Right. I mean a good example would be like Hotel Illness, which I don't think anybody had on their list. And while we were in there, Chris goes, Hey, I just had this thought. I heard something. He goes, What if we did Hotel Illness like real herky jerky and just a real driving. And he started playing his guitar, and I started hitting that big bass drum, and right away it fell on, and everybody goes, oh, okay, wait, stop, let's just roll tape. Yeah, yeah, Go. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, that's a tune that went from not even on the list to it was done in seven minutes. Yeah. Oh, as far wow. as the basic track. I right, mean, he yeah. He sang it and all that, but, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, or Share the Ride, that, there was no, it was just, that, that tune, to us, on three, there's a lot of stuff on Three Snakes that sounded different, but Share the Ride was important because it's almost traditional sounding it's a it's a it's that kind of tune but in the mix in the context of that album it took Mm -hmm. on more weight for us like it really shows like we're taking a very traditionally formatted song with us on this sort of out there trippy ride on Mm -hmm. the three snakes Mm -hmm. so i mean there's there's a lot to 
I think what we were able to remember is what songs meant a lot to us at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know whatever people's opinions of each album are, there's a reason that those songs. You know, Welcome to the Good Times, for reasons that probably don't even come through in the actual recorded version of By Your Side. That song has a lot to. That means a lot mm-hmm. to us. It meant something at the time. It still I, does. I noticed you guys put that. That's in the set list. A yeah, lot and and it just. You know, at a different time and place, that would have been a very different, differently heard and received song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those ones. So, I, I don't know, long-winded answer to your questions. No, we didn't say, let's take some of the heaviest things. and t- We just took it as a song. But the first thing was, what songs do we think cover a gamut for, you know, what's, what's someone who has all of our records going to think is good? And then what is someone... I. For me personally, I want it to be the kind of thing. If somebody, if they're, if this is their first Black Crows record, Pull what's gonna, what's gonna give them the best sense of all the places we've tried to go? That's cool. Yeah, I, I didn't look at it really that way. That's cool. Well, that answers my question mm-hmm. very well. You know, speaking of albums, I, I had to make sure that I mentioned this. You know, in my mind, in my life, Southern Harmony and Amorica, those two albums back to back to me are as good as any two albums top to bottom that any band artist has ever done back to back cool period I mean <laughs> I, I think those two albums are just and funny you mentioned Hotel Illness I wasn't really that into Hotel Illness at the time when that when I first got the uh-huh. probably cassette tape yeah um, and uh, and it's a tune that later on has yeah. grown mm-hmm. on me and become a great tune well um, I, you know I'm I don't want to put words in Chris's mouth, but that, I'm pretty sure that tune's about Bill Clinton. Oh, really? I mean, it's just about the climate and the, the 92 campaign, which was yeah. launched in fall of 91. We were making yeah. that record lyrically. It was more about just, it was not about being on the road in hotels on any level. It was right. more like, you know, Ross Perot and Clinton and all these people showing up, and it just was like the same old shit repackaged. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, it was more like, it was more of that kind of, it was a general statement, but it had a lot to do with that. I just remember... When that record came out, I saw several reviews saying, and there's the obligatory touring song, Hotel Illness. Right. And I was like, yeah, or not. Okay. You know. Well, I saw you guys and on in fact, that tour. When Amorica came out, I remember the first review I read said, well, they still can't stop ripping off the faces. And oh, I was God. like, I was like, well, okay, that's clearly this shit's never going to change. But right. Whatever. Yeah, you're going to hear that. Um, I, uh, I saw you guys on that tour. I was in college at the time here, but I was home over the summer in New Haven and you guys came and played Toad's Place mm-hmm. and you did two shows in one night. And um, did? Yep. Where? When was At this? Toad's Place off the uh, Southern Harmony Tour. We did two shows Two shows on in one night. On the same night. You played God. and there were tickets sold. Um, I had tickets to the second show and you had everybody come in for the first show everybody had to go out and they brought everybody else in. And that you was, also, it was, was mentioned... That was cool of us. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> and I was there. I was sick as a dog. I ended up getting really, really sick. Um, I was supposed to go see the Allman Brothers the next night, and I couldn't go. I was just really sick. But um, I saw The Late Show, and I remember, you know, like, you could hear some of the, the show, the earlier show, like, you could be outside. <coughs> I mean, you do you know Toad's Place when I mentioned it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, it's a pretty cool venue, I yeah. think. But I also remember hearing you guys on the radio earlier that day I think doing an interview and somebody had mentioned that you guys were hanging out in a Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. and there was like a band playing and you guys got up and well that yeah that had been earlier that any sound think, yeah yeah that was yeah, like on the like, Shake Your Money Maker tour that was actually that, that happened I think 
when Burning Tree was opening for us, so Mark okay. was around. I think it was Mark and Chris oh, yeah. and he got up. Or yeah, I I know what you're talking about. I know that yeah. that wasn't and that story wasn't from when we were from, there doing two shows. It was there. from okay. the last time we okay there. Yeah. yeah. And so I always thought that that was such a cool thing. I was like, man, you know, like to catch a moment like that. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like you guys in those days were just whatever, just breaking the rules of what everybody kind of thought like a tour should look like and what, you know, sort of what an album should look like. And Yeah, we didn't really, I mean, for better or for worse, we really didn't have any idea what we were getting into, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, our perception of what we, I don't know, we obviously had a lot of expectations that we yeah. didn't voice because there was a lot of confusion and you're only confused if you're not taking things as they come. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, Looking back now, I wish we'd been a lot more... It would have been a lot easier if we had just all admitted we don't know what to expect. Let's just enjoy it and take... Let's take it one day at a time. Right. And we clearly all had some overreaching idea of what was about to happen. I mean, none of us were close to being... Prepared for it. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've often said I can't imagine anyone being less prepared for it, you know? Right. We made that first record... You know, I can remember this saying, I hope we sell 50,000 copies. I really want to make another record. Yeah. I thought we'd go on tour for, you know, three months. Yeah. And, and then beg to make another record. Yeah. Because I knew, well, if we go tour for three months, we'll get a lot better. We'll be, we'll be better. You know, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to slowly build something. And that, went, years out, later. that <laughs> went out the window pretty quick. That's awesome. Which it's not a, it's, it's never been a complaint, but it's, but it's just reality that it was very, it was hard. And it's, it. it I don't think I had any perspective on anything. I never had any perspective that I can still see now as having been sensible until 1995. I mean, right. it took me, it was six full, you know, 90 through 95. Those six calendar years were a complete blur and just holding on for dear life. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> and nothing that I, nothing that I thought made sense then, I would still say makes sense now. But right. it was the summer of 95. Which I don't think it's a coincidence, I think, but I turned 30 that summer and it just allowed me to just say, okay, get the fuck over this. The Beatles were all broken up before they were 30. I know. You know, like, you're not in the goddamn Beatles, man. Relax. And it it helped. Do you ever think about the Beatles in this way? What did they record? They only recorded for a period of, like, what, seven years? Six years. Everything was recorded within six years, right? And so... Two albums and four singles. So it was 38 songs a year. So, Wow. So you look at them from when they yeah. broke, yeah. like Ed Sullivan, and then to playing on the rooftop. They look like they aged twenty years. It's incredible. I mean, it's yeah. the craziest thing when you think well, about it. Well, it's amazing to think that. Um, I know it's not it's as cut and dry as it seems, but it seemed like in 1964, no one on earth had a mustache. And, you know what I mean? And two years later, everyone. Everybody. Had you know a what I mean? In 1965. Yeah. A handful of people had smoked pot in '67. Everybody was on acid, right? You know, I mean, it's, I know it's not really how it is, but but cult for for big bands. I mean, like in 1965, they were still wearing suits. In 1966, they were still wearing suits. Now, that last tour, they were, you know, and you can see why they were all going crazy. I mean, living that, in, you know, they were yeah. completely an image. They just, you know, they were a packaged pop band who just happened to be great. You know what I mean? That, that, it's yeah, like, it's beyond like, what they needed to be, yeah. You know, it, it's just like, it, it's like if, uh, I mean, they were no, on a certain level, they're no different than boy bands, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, Absolutely. in, that, in totally. that it's all scripted. And, Except that they played their... You know, they went, from, yeah. they went from doing seven hours a night live to 20 minutes a day, yeah. and, and hiding in hotels with, 
you know, with copious amounts of chemicals and girls and all the things people think they want. Yeah. But it's no way to live, and it's 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 hardly a surprise that. And then and then yeah, add to it thirty six songs a year for six years, and they're and they're all songs that all of us know every fucking one of them. Yeah, so many of them. I mean, not everybody's heard the inner. They're so different. Maybe the inner light and you know you know my name. People don't know those, but every other one, you know what I mean. There's a handful of B sides that no one's heard. Ridiculous amount that people. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, Sgt. Pepper came out in June. Yeah. On June first, and they made Magical Mystery Tour in August. I mean, we, you put a record out now, it's like you don't even start the tour two months later. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> They're already working on another album. Ridiculous, man. Um, you know, one kind of funny thing was when you guys were doing the uh, Southern Harmony Times, just because you mentioned, like, they're all wearing suits and then it... You were, like, all clean... Was What was... You were very clean cut and all the other guys were yeah. getting very, like, you know, hippied out and doing all that thing. Was that, like... Uh, it started decided, or was that like a goof or what, what was that whole thing no it wasn't it, no one ever talked about it it was just I, I shaved half my head in Europe in the fall of 91 like the front half I've seen videos and, of that, yeah. and which was just a way to reclaim you know I just felt like I was getting lost in this machine you know that, yeah. and, and of course you look back and everyone felt that way but we would never talk about it right. so I thought it was just me I thought everyone else is having a time of their life and I'm kind of going crazy here mm-hmm. um and so I just, that was just sort of a, it was funny and it was drunk, but it also, it, it meant a lot to me. It like, okay, fuck it, I'm still me. I'm not right. this guy in this, you know, like I never liked people in fraternities. I love people, but I'm not a big fan of groups of people. Right. Because I don't I don't like group thinking. It, it destroys humanity mm-hmm. as a general rule. Um, and so I, that's all that was. But then when I got home from the tour... You know, I remember I, I I got Hawk season tickets. That was my big splurge when I got home <laughs> from Shake Your Money Maker. Cool. And I went to the Omni for a game, and half my head was shaved, and the other half was long. And just the looks people were giving me, it wasn't within the context of I'm with my band. Oh, he must be a rock star. It was that guy looks retarded. What's wrong with that? Guy? And and I just went, and it was that's all. It's, and I was laughing, going, Yeah, I really look ridiculous. You know. <laughs> so I had to cut the rest of it off. And once I cut it off. That actually, again, made me feel like just me again. Like, fuck, yeah. it's just hair. It doesn't mean shit. Right, right. And everything starts to take on such a big meaning. And 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 I just, you know, I, I don't know what what prompted me to go put on a suit, but it just it just fit. It just that was just a complete. We were getting ready. It was to so just, contrasted from everybody else. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't that important, but it just. I mean, it wasn't like I I I had to stand out, but it just. It just, it gave me, it slowed me down. I mean, honestly, it was almost like I was putting, looking back now, I mean, I didn't see any of this at the time. I think I was just trying to limit my, I was just telling myself, just settle down. Mm -hmm. Just put on a suit and go to work. Right. You know? Huh. Fucking go to work and stop thinking about all the extra, what, none of this, like, it's confusing because you're, you're treated a certain way by strangers all of a sudden, which Mm -hmm. is for me it was very disconcerting and it yeah. just threw me off and I felt like I had to be I had to be something and not only did I not know what it was right. I just knew I don't want to be I just want to be I want to see my old friends who've now all I moved because yeah. we left town for two years <laughs> I can't find any of them because they all have new addresses there's and, no you know, Facebook that's what I mean there's yeah. nothing and then the people that I want to hear from that I really care about they're not calling because they think they're bugging me right you know what I mean like right. you know, the, by the end of the Shake Your Money Maker tour 
everyone's coming out of the woodwork, and it's none of the people you want that to you see. you want to be seeing. We yeah. get to town, and the, the, my friends that I need to just sit and chat with about something other than the Black Crows, they're not showing up. They're, they don't, they're afraid to bother you. Yeah, right? yeah. they're just, you know, and, and they, I don't know, it's just really weird. So that whole time period to me was me just trying to get a handle on some things. Um, and going with, like I said, I, it made sense to me to say, I'm going to work. This is a job. This yeah. is not my entire life. If this is my entire life, then I need to jump off a cliff. Right. <laughs> because, because again, the, when the band's playing, that's great. But there's 22 other hours in the day Yeah. where I don't agree with very much of what anyone else thinks, and they don't agree with me. We're all right. very different people. And we get along. We have common interests, and we have a huge common interest in the band. And that's really all any of us truly cared about. Right. But that makes for a very, it's just an incredibly... Uh, Potentially antagonistic, and it always was. There was always tension. Do those guys get you, like, in your sick? Because, you know, I don't know if any of it's come through here. You know, I I hope some of it. But um, you're a funny guy. I mean, you like your podcast is fun and and no, we all all understand each other's humor very well. I mean, Chris and I. The reason Chris and I first became friends is because we, we we made each other laugh in a way that other people like. He was funnier than everybody else, and he thought I was funnier than everybody else. So that's people, that's what started that friendship entirely. Yeah, it's I mean, funny because it, for you it comes out. I mean, right. you know, b- between the blog and all this stuff, and well, he's had a very. Seen, you know, I mean, we've been in yeah. the same band, but our two experiences have been night. They're night and day. Yeah, and I mean, it was like that a year in. I mean, he he was famous when not everybody was famous. You yeah, know what I mean, like like we were we had made Southern Harmony, and it was early in '92, and one morning. He knew somebody who had a farm with a big pond full of fish, and he wanted to go fishing. So I got up. Well, I remember it was like 6 a.m. one morning. I picked him up, and we were going to go fishing. Mm-hmm. And I pulled into a McDonald's drive-thru just to get coffee. I mean, back yeah. then, there was no Starbucks everywhere. Right. And I remember I pulled in, and I said, give me two coffees. And I had really short hair, and I'm driving a pretty nice car at the time. Right. And I looked like any other dude on his way to work. But yeah. Chris was in the passenger seat. And this, you know, it was like... The girl at McDonald's, I mean, she just went crazy. Like, yeah. I'm like, she's like, you know, dollar eighty, and I hand her the money in the window, and she goes, "Oh my god!" I said, "What are you doing with the guy from the black crowd?" You know, and <laughs> she freaked out, and I drove off, and he he didn't even respond. He was just like, whatever. But I remember thinking, like, man, that's just that's got to be weird for him. I yeah. mean, because. I know him, and there's that same side. Yeah, he wants to be the guy out front, but then he also wants to be a guy who can go fucking fishing. Yeah, and. And it was getting weird, and it didn't stop getting weird for years. And I don't know if it ever it isn't weird. It's just we got used to the weird, so it doesn't seem weird. Right. <laughs> but there was a million times like that. Like, I always used to say, like, there's no one I'd rather drink a beer with, but he's the last guy I'm going to go into a bar with. It just right. got to be fucking miserable. Yeah, that's tough. I was walking here today. There's a bar called the... I always thought it was called the Rat Skeller. It's called something... I walked, I just walked right past it. I've already forgot the actual name. It's called the Dark Cellar or something like that. But it's got, like, every beer in the world, literally. Right, right. And in 1991, we were opening for ZZ Top here. And, I, and then he and I, on a night off, went into that bar. And the thing was, let's get a couple beers and we'll go find some Indian food. Right. And when the bartender recognized us, but was cool about it, he was just like, hey, what's up? And we said, and we drank, we probably had four beers from all different, every time it was a different beer. Yeah. And the guy said, well, if you like that, try this. If you like that, try this. And then you fast forward to three hours later, and we've had, like, I'm not making this up. This is like 15 beers, and we're just hammered, but we're having a great time. It's like, well, let's just eat here. So we get, 
And then a couple guys from the crew, these shifts, we, we kept, we, at one point we noticed, like, two of the crew guys came in and had a few beers with us. And then they left. And they a couple left. more guys came in. A couple more. And we ended up sitting at this place for six or seven hours. Right. And at the end of the night, we had, we had, it was by far the most beer I ever had publicly anywhere. Right. And it's, I'm sure the same for him. We were like, you know, freshman kegger drunk. Like, right. horrible drunk. <laughs> and the hotel was just right down the street. <clears throat> and on the way home, I stopped at a market and bought a six-pack of Elephant Mall liquor just to make sure we were going to be okay, you know. And that night, I opened all six bottles with my teeth because I'd never done it. wanted to see if you could. Chipped a tooth. Filling fell out. I woke up the next day with more pain. I mean, like, woke up from a drunk with a nerve exposed in oh my, my tooth. Oh, my God. <clears throat> but it was funny because I just walked by that bar on the way here today, and I thought, God, that was one of the last... Just two two guys from Atlanta really getting shit faced together. Nice. Yeah. Where no one ever met, no one messed with us, and if they did, it was all it was just hey, good to see you. Yeah. And because and that's right when Shaker Moneymaker exploded, and uh, you know what I mean. It's not like we were trying to. You know, I'm not saying we didn't want it to happen. We did, yeah. but yeah. there's a cost, and yeah. we didn't see that yeah. at all. And uh, yeah, that's because I never even would have thought about that. You know, being, I mean, I've always had that kind of thing where we'd go out. You know, and just locally, you know, nobody would ever recognize me yeah. as you know. But people would come up to my buddy who the most who's fun, a singer, and they'd the be most, like, "Hey, the most fun for me." I mean, there's eighty-seven to ninety; those three years as a, in a in a local scene in Atlanta, the, the, that fun is a hundred times more than the twenty years since. Really, because every single day was an adventure. Yeah, you could say everything's every day is an adventure on tour, but it's kind of like Groundhog Day after a while too. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have the same conversations with different people. Right. The same, you know, it's it's. Right. But man, back in those days, it was every day was. You know, there I, there were months in my life where I didn't have a phone. I mean, what could be better? You know, what yeah. I mean? just make something happen. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I never, you know, we we had our utilities cut off a lot, and it's not romanticizing in retrospect, right. because at the time we were loving it. We knew like this is awesome. This is so fun. I yeah. just knew I, I'm not in college. You know, I'm yeah. having a fucking great mm-hmm. time. And Atlanta back then was a great city to do that, and it was still cheap. It was still mm-hmm. smallish. And you could play gigs. You didn't have to have a single or any, you know, all the bands that would go make their own 45. We were like, we're not doing that shit. We'll <laughs> wait till we get a deal. We'll make an album eventually and someone else will pay for it. Yeah, right. You know. And real, I mean, were you realistically thinking that or were you just kind of yeah. like. No, I thought we were going to be a huge band. Yeah. And I also thought we sucked. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's a good dichotomy. That's, you know? a, good, that's a good uh, combo for uh, making you know? it huge. I mean, I've said it many times, but we were, I, I said it back then. I said, we're the worst band in Atlanta and the best band in the world. Right, because you say that, yeah. it, it, I, I, it's true. We, we, we sucked, but we had everything we needed. We just yeah. needed time. Just needed, needed to get. It. And I, well, I thought, I thought that. Now. I saw Mr. Crow's Garden the day after I moved to Atlanta, at the Metroplex. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I said right then, I was like, they need Jesus, me. that kid. I didn't think that because I didn't really even. Have, I didn't have a drum kit yet. I wasn't. I, I'd, I'd already bullshitted my way into one band. I don't know how I was going to get into another one. <laughs> right, right. But I just, I just saw Chris, and I was like, "That wow, that guy." And he's entirely different back then than anything you've seen, you've ever seen. But yeah, but it was still the same. There was that he just had that thing. It's 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 a funny thing because I've I've seen bands where, you know, or different singers, you know, local bands and stuff where they've got everything down. You know, they they seem to be doing it all on stage that. That looks the part. That's always a but problem. But it doesn't always come off no, right. That's, you know? it's, no, uh, being a good local band is a sign. Of, it's a curse. Yeah. you got to be shitty, and then one day you get it, and you're killing it. And there's <laughs> no, there's, 
being a good band is the war. It's the it's like having a good girlfriend. You know, right. it's like you either have the girl you're going to spend your life with, or you got the crazy one you're learning with. Right. And when you find a stable relationship too soon, it's like, what am I doing? It's no you good. Know? Yeah. You I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's a that's actually a pretty shitty analogy. But I mean, it kind of <laughs> makes sense. You gotta. It's like golf. You know, when you first play golf, you're horrible, and then you put together a few things, and you don't get two strokes better. You get 15 strokes better. Right. Golf, you improve in leaps and bounds because you apply it to 18 holes. You learn something. Right. So golfers tradition, you go from a 110 to a 95 in one right. round, and and then you go from a 95 to an 80. Now right. you don't go below 80, right? Unless that's you really get serious. But I'm saying that's the trick with golf and with, and with bands with Mr. Crow's Garden. Every six, if you you couldn't see us week to week, but if you saw us every six months, you'd go, ah, damn, something's happening there. Yeah, they're but because it's a local scene, like we could go to Birmingham and Chapel Hill and Nashville, and people that saw us once a year would say, that's a good band, but. You know, yeah, you're right next to it. The local, other local bands, people in the scene that would be going to the White Dot to see us, they didn't see anything happening. Mm-hmm. It was just the same shit to them. But yeah. we always knew, okay, this is getting somewhere. And then when we made the record, when we got in the studio to make Shake Your Money Maker, we weren't nearly as good a band as that record was. Right. Live. We couldn't go out and reproduce that. Right. But when given time and space, we knew we had songs. We knew we had what it took. Yeah. And so that record, it was, it's a little bit of putting the cart in front of the horse, but, but we always knew... All we gotta do is get out and play a bunch of shows, yeah. and this is gonna be. And we caught up to that record. I mean, our first tour, we opened for Junkyard. It was six weeks, and I know Junkyard, that really Junkyard tours. Oh, our yeah, first tour. we played Center Simple Stage. Man. Did they have a song called Simple yep. Man? Yeah. We played Center Stage in Atlanta, like ten or twelve shows into the tour. And I remember thinking that that show wasn't as good as I wished. And then by the time we were in the Northeast, a couple weeks later, we played the Channel in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, we're already here. I mean, it took us like wow. three weeks of playing every night just for solid, it to go. Yeah. Okay, no, we got we got this down. Yeah, that's what makes and live it and playing live is ninety nine percent confidence anyway. All right, so I don't know how by the way I'm, you got to head out. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so thing. let's. Uh, can, can I get you to answer a couple quick things like yes. um, just stuff like your favorite crow's record your favorite crow's song if i if i'm gonna listen to an album start to top top to bottom i'd put on southern harmony okay cool great favorite song is no no idea no idea was there can you remember a song where um like chris and rich sort of brought the song in i guess you know and like right off the bat you're like holy shit do you remember a song like that where you're like i can't wait to get playing on this thing yeah um actually the, the 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 one time they wrote a bunch of songs without anyone in the room was turned out to be the album called Band. Like, mm-hmm. My Heart's Killing Me, Wyoming and Me, Smile, mm-hmm. uh, Only a Fool, and uh, something else on that. Peace Anyway. They walked mm-hmm. in, and they had spent a week together, and they just had all those tunes, like, arrangements, everything done. Yeah. And I, I, we recorded those, and I thought that, you know, that was the album to me. That was like, shit, that's, that's, that batch of songs, hearing them, just the two of them playing them, that's that's definitely the, I'd say the biggest, because t- I heard, I think, all those on the same day for the first time and went, fuck, right. nice work. Right. That's a bunch of good tunes. Ah, oh, man. Must be such a great feeling. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, you've given me way more than I yeah, ever right thought of. I hope sometime maybe we can get you actually in the studio. Um, do you ever spend time in Atlanta now, or... Um, yeah, actually. I mean, you we, guys we, have that week off of your tour. It seems like every time you come to Atlanta, there's a week off on your tour. Is it because you have so many people that you guys 
Oh, you mean like right it. after it? Yeah. No, no, because no one lives in Atlanta anymore. Everyone just no splits. Good. It's just it's that's just a, it's just gone that way. I guess okay. if that's the case, I don't even remember that being the case. But uh, no, that's just a. What do you call home now? Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, I've been there six years, and I'm not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Cool. Yep. All right, man. Well, awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. No I worries. See the show tonight. Well, I hope it does the job for you. This is Steve Gorman from the Black Crows, and uh, we are here together listening to Two Faces Radio. All right. That concludes the legendary, legendary Brian McClenney. I prefer momentum. Slash Steve Gorman of the Black Crows and Steve Gorman Sports interview yes right that was it i enjoyed it immensely you heard it all i think you did a wonderful job thank you without my assistance that's why i hired you to be my talent i'm thinking to myself like what is ira trying to get me to do sometime in the near future because he's really buttering me up here no hey i uh credit where credit is due butter your mother look if i do you think if i thought you didn't do such a great job you think i would tell you i would hope you would no i probably would That's the beauty. Uh, no, I, I am. Being I think sincere. you. I think you gave a good, sincere, like you said in the beginning, and you busted right. my stones on a few things that were totally legitimate. All right. And uh, but I, like I said, I listened to the whole thing yeah. today. I waited. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, entertained the whole time. It went yeah. by quickly. So uh, anyway, thanks again for for checking us out, and in general, Two Faces Radio. Uh, go back and listen. If this is the first time you're hearing us with with this particular podcast or this two part podcast, um, if you like what you're hearing, go. They're all there for you to listen to. You can listen over the holidays. You got plenty of time. Good down time to time. catch up. Um, you can download them for free off of iTunes. Yeah. You can listen to them for free off of iTunes. You can get them on your iPhones really easily through iTunes. Um, and uh, go to our website. Too. And you know what? If you're a big music fan. And you're not sure about the whole interview side of it. We've got some podcasts out there that are just music. Yeah. So it can give you a We've taste. Had some great performances. <laughs> great performances. You can listen to that. Ira is great about listen, listing excuse me, all of the artists and the songs that they play in there. And then you can then pick and choose like, hey, I really like this song. Maybe now I'll go check out the interview. So that's a good way to go about it too. Right. Right. So what we're saying is, um, what are we trying to say? Check out the show. Yeah. Tell two friends. Tell two faces. Two faces. Tell two faces about two faces. Exactly. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. We will see you next time. Like we always like to say. Save it for the show. show.